As a reminder, there are three themes that summarize and drive this week's readings, all readings, all lessons, all seminars, and all exercises. This is the elevator pitch for the course. Even if you disagree with any of these three themes' premises, they will still remain the suppositions against which to debate, to discuss, and to dissent. The first is that subversion focuses on internally weakening a government. You are not fighting directly, but instead causing collapse, a weakening, a stretching thin, or at least distraction. The second is that subversion is executed with indirect and subtle means. And the third is that subversion exploits existing narratives and networks typically, especially exacerbating schisms that already exist. So on active measures, the mindset for active measures includes that the best defense against subversion is offensive subversive strategies against adversaries, competitors, and even allies. Governments of Russia have often sought geographic buffer to stave off influence or invasion. From the Mongol invasions to Napoleon to Hitler, Russian governments often appear to value survival as a moral and national imperative in and of itself. The goal of survival justifies an array of ways and means. Also, to survive, the Kremlin appears often to favor order over other priorities. A strong FSB, stronger than the SVR, and keeping citizens confused or reminded of the chaos of the world, only to want a strong man's savior, appear to be roads towards order. Although Russia disinformation is played up in the media, the vast majority of influence, that is money and time and personnel and effort, is offline. Some analysts even suggest that online disinformation may sometimes be a purposeful distraction. There are five elements of active measures of interest for this lesson. One is Zalami Taktika. Salami taktika is a Hungarian word for salami tactics, not to be confused with so-called salami slicing. These salami tactics focus on influencing to exacerbate factions within enemy camps or instigate enemies to fight one another so that they destroy each other or so they weaken each other and that it is easier to influence or control. This is arguably a version of divide and conquer, or divide and control. As Catilia said in the 4th century BCE, to foment dissension between neighbors or potential allies, to make one's neighboring king fight another neighbor, and having thus prevented neighbors from getting together. And from the Southern Key Dynasty in the 5th century, observe the fire from the other side of the river, when the enemy has internal disputes and is agitated, we should monitor their movements. When the disputes have aggravated to the point where they are infighting, we should use the opportunity to deal a heavy blow. And from Beria, 1930, by psychopolitics, perhaps another word for psychological warfare, produce a maximum of chaos in the culture of the enemy is our most important first step. Our fruits are grown in chaos and distrust. According to Bartlett about the Mongols, subterfuge, too, was an often used 
Mongol trick by using this, countries could be picked off one at a time. Today's ally would become tomorrow's target. None of this gave the Mongols a problem of conscience. And also about Genghis Khan from Saunders. The Mongols always displayed a shrewd cunning in exploiting the feuds of their enemies. By proclaiming war against the hitherto invincible assassins, they engaged sympathy of Sunni Islam. By destroying the head and center of Sunni Islam, they won the gratitude of the Shia factions and the Eastern Christians, etc. And as Michael Hayden said in 2017, influence, or in this case, subversive warfare, is not to create divisions on the ground, but to amplify divisions on the ground that already exist. According to Lenin, the focus was on exploiting all conflicts in all of the ranks of an opponent. And I quote, necessarily, thoroughly, carefully, attentively, and skillfully taking advantage of every, even the smallest fissure among the enemies of every antagonism. This is Stephen Powell, 1986. And from the 36 stratagems, undermine your enemy's ability to fight by secretly causing discord between him and his friends, allies, advisors, advisors, family, commanders, soldiers, and population. Why he is preoccupied settling internal disputes, his ability to attack or defend is compromised. The second pillar or the second tenet, if you will, of active measures is, is that it is defensive in nature. It's about subverting the subversives. As Gelioti says in our reading, and I'm going to do a few quotes because it is a reading that I would like you guys to skim. So I'm going to quote and summarize what I believe are some of the more important insights to this lesson. According to Mark Gelioti in 2019, active measures are both an expression of Russia's strategic culture with its propensity to see the world as full of covert challenges and the operational code of the Putin regime, which considers the best defense against such threats to be good offense, a strategic culture whose participants see the world full of secret threats and an operational culture whose adherents regard the best defense as offense. The third tenet is many parts working seamlessly, seemingly serendipitously towards the same goal. Again, according to Mark, a central element of this code is that the responsibility for active measures has become diversified, even universalized, linked with the way Russia has become an adhocracy of competing semi-autonomous actors expected to generate their own plans to work towards the state's broad objectives. The fourth tenet, Paranoia that subversive warfare engenders is a form of victory for active measures. Again, back to Mark, the crowning irony is that it has become very easy for foreigners to see the Kremlin's hand behind every reversal, every trip, and every Russian initiative. This has an undeniably baleful impact on international relations, but at the same time, likely suits Putin well crediting him with more influence and impact in the world than he and his Russia truly deserve. Perhaps this is the greatest active measure of all. And the fifth tenet is employment 
of an unrestricted political warfare mentality. According to Bogdanov, it's in the use of all public institutions and mass media, religious organizations, cultural institutions, non-government organizations, public movements, and even grants. According to James Scher, one of the aims of the Russians pursuing what they have long called the initial period of war is to incapacitate a state as much as possible before that state is even aware that a conflict has started. And according to Kisilev, it is preferable to have a foreign, nonprofit, non-governmental organization that could best contribute to the attainment of the goal of a hybrid operation. It can be established beyond the Russian Federation under the rules of a foreign country. And according to Edward Epstein in 1989, victory will come not from a single decisive battle, but from the accumulation of gradual changes in the global balance of power. One superpower might find it lacks the allied resources or will to compete with the other. This assessment itself might be tantamount to losing without fighting. Thank you.